Hi, folks. Lehman Pascal here on the Integral Stage. And as you probably know, a few weeks ago, Bruce and I sat down with Dr. Mark Foreman to explore his rebuttals, perspectives, and opinions directed toward common critiques of the Integral community. And at the end of that discussion, I suggested that scandals are a sort of outstanding topic that a lot of folks are interested in and which form the backdrop for a lot of critiques, especially online. So here to help us explore scandals and anything else that we feel Integral hasn't done or is perceived as not having done well are Integral outsiders, Dr. Mark Foreman and Namali Pereira. But before we get into this, I'd like to say a couple of words uh, about how I come at scandal in terms of embracing it, challenging it, holding it in a richer way, and just trying to find out how I stand in front of all these things, which for me are stories people are telling me. I think scandals are they're common, they're often narratively intriguing to humans, they occur in all communities, and they don't occur as either scandals happened or people believed scandals happened. There's usually an entangling of those two in some really interesting ways that force us to think about multiple perspectives, that force us to think about the integrity of the cultural fields we're trying to set up, force us to think about how people perceive each other and how they act toward each other. So it's a very rich scenario, especially so in developmental communities, where we assume that people might be growing and changing so that everybody is doing things that hopefully they're feeling bad about later, and that their development proceeds as per the theory we all have in common along multiple trajectories simultaneously. So we are sort of presupposing that the people we meet in these communities will be different in their sophistication when it comes to thinking or inspiring people or performing charismatically or being emotionally sensitive or being interpersonally ethical, that all these are different variables we have to take into account and they don't cancel each other out. But what that means is there's a really uh, big potential for mess and ambiguity and confusion, which is especially hard to understand from the outside and when you're using a narrower lens. So what we have to do is, I think, help along the project of collective sense making however we can. One of those ways is to just share what we know, what we remember, how we feel, have each other exchange information on that subject. And I think keep in mind that whatever we say about integral or about individuals also reflects the general information environment that we're in now. That a lot of the things we're going to touch today, I think, also describe the way it is to watch the news or to behold the world now. And so it's very difficult to do this. I appreciate everything we're going to share. And I hope that we all feel like bringing forward information of any thematic quality is basically a good thing to do that makes the community and the discussion stronger, even if it feels challenging and upsetting sometimes. Bruce? Yeah, I'm happy to be here with everyone. I'm happy to carry forward this conversation from a few weeks ago. There were a number of critiques uh, that have been repeated over many years, and we felt that those were relatively easily dispatched if you have enough information. Um, if you have an informed enough view, we can hopefully put them to rest. As, as Mark has called them, they're zombie critiques. It doesn't seem to quite work that way. They keep coming back. But uh, we at least felt that those things were relatively easily addressed. But there are some things, critiques that people have made and concerns that people have had, both from outside the community and from within the community, that are apparently more on target and really do need to be faced squarely. And so I'm happy 
to be able to do that here with, with all of you. Um, from my side, I've I've been involved in the integral community for a long while. I've been a student of integral for a very long time. I was involved in integral naked when it first opened. Um, I taught integral theory in multiple programs, including the II sponsored integral theory program at JFK. Um, I've run integral online communities. And of course, I have this channel now. Um, and I have friends uh, who are working in the belly of the beast. So I do hear some inside things. So I consider myself relatively informed about the history um, the, and the strengths and weaknesses of this overall community and movement. But I don't have the same kind of insider perspective from you know, prominent leadership positions or organizing positions that Namali has and that Mark has. So I'm really looking forward to you know, what both of them have to share and to bring here. And I think we're going to be starting with maybe the most controversial uh, topic that keeps coming up, and it, it has dogged our community a lot, and that is around the scandals involving endorsements of and allegiances of with, you know, uh, some controversial figures. And that has definitely taken the wind out of the sails of, of Integral in, in some way. Some of those scandals have really shaken it. I think overall in the long term, the fact that we actually still cohere as a community and we've found ways to address a number of those things, that's that's actually a positive in our favor. But nevertheless, I think there's a lot to look at and learn from. And we might also look at other things like uh, you know, hyperbolic marketing that has sometimes turned a number of people off, or uh maybe over-promising and under-delivering on a number of different kinds of projects. Spotty responsiveness to criticism. There have been some good responses and then some places, some ways where you know criticism hasn't really been well engaged, especially closer to the center of the movement. I think you know engagement with some of the contemporary science is sometimes a challenge, as Frank Visser likes to remind everybody. And you know, I think there are a number of things that we could look at. So I just I want to toss those things out, not as definitive, but just as a sampling of directions we might go. Though I think we'll probably start first with uh, you know the the endorsements and the allegiances that have uh, you know caused you know some people to call Integral a poisoned chalice. Um, so anyway, glad to be here and uh, welcome both to you, Mark and Nomali. Hi, Bruce. Hi, Layman. Hi, Nomali. Pleasure to be here. Hello, hello. Glad to be here. Okay, terrific. Well, since Mark has a couple of characters in mind who could act as a framing device for this discussion, maybe he would lead in with one of them. I, I noticed there was sort of an order in the messages you sent, mm -hmm. sort of like Adi Dai, Andrew Cohen, Mark Gaffney, and maybe David Data. <laughs> uh, so maybe not Data. Maybe not. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe you want to start with... Uh, with the Adida thing, as it appears to you. Yeah. So I want to preface by saying, you know, whereas my last conversation with, with the two of you, I felt pretty confident that uh, my opinions were very well aligned with maybe the general opinion of an integral community. I don't know that my opinions on these matters are going to be quite in lockstep with everybody. 
I, I probably will use the royal we uh, from time to time when describing these particular scandals, but I just want to leave a little bit of extra openness that I'm open to new information, to being contradicted, um, should things come out. These are my best impressions, best summary impressions of, let's say, scandals. And I I somewhat want to put that in quotes because I'm not sure each qualifies as a scandal. Uh, each of these situations and characters is actually quite different from one another. It's not a easy to see repetitive pattern except in one dimension and this would where be where i would start which is i happen to think uh that uh ken wilbur has a uh let's say personal flaw which is that he either will not be able to spot or not decide not to push back very much uh, against forms of narcissism, basically. I've heard him say things that make me think, oh, he notices these things. He's, he's you know, no dummy in this department. And then at other times, it would seem that his endorsements of people or interactions just sort of, as the kids would say, ghost uh the issue of narcissism in the room or in the person that ken is engaging with now that's not to excuse the community for whatever entanglements it had later on but i do think some of this is a you know ken was a gatekeeper in a certain way and had he been very on the ball a, and awake to narcissism, some of this might not have happened. Um, I also want to say I'm not sure Integral is unique in its scandal or scandal per year uh, <laughs> format, considering how many people come and go into Integral. Um, I, it seems to me that in spiritual communities, the scandals just keep coming. Um, this is my sense of the news as I follow it. And the scandals come in communities where you would really suspect they wouldn't. In other words, like quite aware, conscious of power dynamic Buddhist communities seem to be able to produce a lot of scandals. Uh, and you would think that they would be inoculated some way. So I do want to throw that out there and maybe that's something we can get to. But I guess I'll, just to sort of set the table up, I think of Integral really having, let's say, four scandals, and then I'm going to qualify what I mean by each. So four people um, who, when people think of Integral as a poison chalice, probably it's these four names. The first is Adi Da. He was obviously early on, and we'll get to him. Uh, the second is Andrew Cohen. Um, we'll get to talk about him. The third and perhaps most important is Mark Gaffney. Uh, and we'll take time to get to him. And then the fourth is probably Genpo Roshi, but I do not know very much 
about his world. My understanding is that his scandal happened in his community, not in the integral community. I could be wrong about that, uh, but I'm the least well-informed about Genpo Roshi. And other figures like David Data, controversial, but I don't recall particular scandal per se. Uh, Maybe I missed something. And yeah, that would be, those would be the big four, let's say, in in my mind. Well, why don't you um, walk us through your take on the Adidas situation, and then we'll all uh, chime in a little bit. Sure. So I think to look at each of these situations, we want to do a couple of things. Want to look at the person, look at their, let's say, their production or what you know, what they had to offer purportedly. And then we want to ask the question, well, how integrated into the community were they or how in touch with Ken were they? And those are two different things, as I tried to emphasize last time, that, you know, what Ken gets involved in is not always what the community gets involved in and vice versa. So Adida is, well, he's a tricky case a lot of people or a group of people think he has a particular type of spiritual genius, let's say, in his writings or in his uh, transmission or something like that. And he was a serious influence on Ken's original work. So you can see some traces of Adida going through Ken's work, uh, the stage model the spiritual stage model, the older versions of Wilbur, probably owe a decent amount to Adida. He's tricky because on one hand, it's hard to deny that he ha- he was in touch with something. He had some level of realization, capital R. Now, I happen to think it was much lower than people give him credit for. I happen to think that he took other traditions reworded them and pointed them back towards himself in a very, well, incredibly narcissistic way. And that he was not a very effective teacher at all because he has really no students who I would consider of of the highest caliber that he really brought from start line to finish line because I think his personality issues undermine the pedagogy and the process of sort of the guru takes the disciple to the level of the guru, let's say. And But Ken gave him a once-in-a-lifetime endorsement as sort of the true realizer, the sort of one and only best realizer. And that was early on in Ken's work. Now, later, this is where we get to the inside uh, baseball I was in Ken's loft in Denver twice where he in front of 40 or 50 people, and that's why I I feel comfortable saying it because he said it in public. He basically described Da as a drug addict and an alcoholic who would drink or use himself into a state of crisis and then reemerge from that crisis with a new name and a new realization. So he's actually having cycles of going to the top and then hitting bottom 
due to substances and then reinventing himself, let's say, on the other side. Uh, he didn't die a yogic death by any stretch of the imagination. There were lots of things, but Ken came out and he did say that. And in that, he didn't quite say, well, Da had no realization, but he did throw water on, on some of the coals, let's say, of Da's the one and only greatest realizer. I actually asked Ken once, I said, how can he be, you know, the one and only greatest realizer and have so much narcissism and self-regard? And Ken just basically gave an answer like, well, it can work like that. <laughs> so, so Da's a very interesting case. He does set a sort of precedent of who Ken will endorse. How much was his penetration into the community? Not that much. There are a few people who will still hold the candle for Da, and I won't name names, and they're nice people who I like and otherwise respect. Uh, but I don't know that he was something the community ever had to take on. I think he was, Ken gave these speeches about him, uh, well, a couple of years before the community would start to congeal. So I could pause there on him. Sure, it's a it's a very interesting thing for me because uh, I don't know if I've talked about this before. I bought my first Ken Wilber book because of a quote by Ken Wilber on the cover of an Adi Da book. Uh, I didn't necessarily believe the quote, but that's what put his name in my mind. And I know uh, I'm I'm a student of his teachings in a lot of ways. I think there's a lot of very interesting peculiar formulations that broaden the range of how we think about non-duality in certain ways. I appreciate what Ken saw in that. I see the parallels between some of Dawes' formulations and particularly some of the early integral formulations. Uh, like Ken, I sort of can appreciate the narcissistic, egotistic personality type. If it's, if it's a healthy plaything, then that's one thing. If it's actually causing distress to people, that's another. And the people I know who come out of the dog communities tell me very different stories. Some of them seem to have had a, a challenging but wonderful time, still feel very attached to it. Other people had a time that they experienced as quite abusive and disorienting. So it's very hard to throw my arms around all of that stuff. Um, so I, and especially when you're dealing with somebody who behaves as though they are an aggrandized narcissist, but there's specifically a teaching based on recognizing and penetrating the core of narcissism. It creates a very strange uh, kind of a knot where you're never really sure how to approach this stuff. I don't know much about um, his overall influence on the community, but I, I imagine there's still more than we realize in terms of people who are intrigued by Da, who are within the integral community. Um, Namal or Bruce Namali, whoever. Yeah, I I have. So I can say when I first got into my own, when my spiritual journey was just emerging, really in back in Sri Lanka around the mid nineties, there was a small Sri Lankan temple that I used to go to for my sitting. 
And there were lots of um, international monks, like foreign monks, as we used to call them, who used to gather at that temple. And they would get rid of their stuff when they were leaving Sri Lanka, for example, the things they didn't want to carry back with them. And there were these dusty old, remember the old cassette tapes? And I, I would just go to where they would dump these things. And I still remember picking up two cassette tapes that said, a, a Dafri John. And I remember I had no idea who they were, but for whatever reason, Dafri John, I guess, attracted my my psyche. And I when I was driving back, I played those tapes in my car. And this is like 97-ish, I think. And I was just blown away listening to this guy. I had no idea who he was. And very early on in my spiritual life, I definitely felt transmitted <laughs> by whatever this, whoever this was. I had no idea. So I remember that. And then after I moved to Boulder, Colorado, as many of you know already, I moved to Boulder in, in exactly 20 years ago, on the 27th of December, 2002. So this year, 27th of December, actually marked 20 years since my arrival in Boulder to get involved in this integral thing. What I found was that in the integral community, including like the many conferences that we've had, the many seminars, including the ITC, uh, the integral theory conferences out in California and all of that, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people, Adida was barely spoken of. So in my opinion, Adida was a terrible, you know, eventually I learned directly from Terry Patton, who was a student of Adida and lived in his commune uh, for, for decades, probably even. He raised his family inside that community. Um, and he used to very openly tell me and others the stuff that went on in the Dafri John Adida community. And it all sounded completely ghastly and horrendous. And Barely anyone outside of Terry Patton that I met ever really knew of Dafri John or Adida um, in, in the integral community. That said, indeed, you know, we're always like looking back, right? So looking back, even at that time, it was right for us to question now, why would Ken Wilber endorse Dafri John? John? Also, I think it should be said that eventually Ken did write something sort of denouncing and sort of, yeah, denouncing in some ways. It's like you have to enter at your own risk, uh, the Daffy John community or his teachings or something like that. He, he definitely made a statement about that. So that's all I would say about Daffy is that basically he, he was not very well known as far as I knew in the integral community. In my experience too, he has not been a very prominent theme in terms of active discussions or, or readings. I think his imprint on certain integral ways of looking and framing, as, as Lehman also mentioned, is definitely there. My encounter with his community was through a member of my Integral Post-Metaphysical Spirituality Forum um, back in the early 2000s. One longtime community member joined um, my forum and talked to us about his experience and then talked to me a lot in private 
about his experience there. And he's actually written about his experience there. And for him, he felt on the on the whole, it was a negative experience. He didn't deny that there was some brilliance and lucidity and originality in Da, but he he thought overall it was a you know a dysfunctional enough community that it it hurt him more than helped him. Um, and that his growth was more a matter of recovering from it than actually <laughs> having been, you know, taken through any kind of pedagogical approach that was, you know, unless, I mean, you know, some people will, will say, oh, it's crazy wisdom, they're abusing you in order, but there's all kinds of self-justification that goes on and, and, and rationalization that goes on around those kind of constructions. So I'm a little bit suspicious of them. I don't think it really, we really in this conversation need to dwell too much more on, on the Dob part, because I don't think it's that big of an influence. I would say the one thing that is maybe there that's relevant to others is it's with Daw that a lot of people say, okay, if if Ken is doing that and kind of willing to look aside at, a, at some pretty glaring things around some of the abuses, is there something off with, with Ken's um, character assessment technology <laughs> or not? And so it's an open question. I don't think that that's even a given, but I think that is something that, you know, people, people do take from that. Yeah, I think there's an opportunity uh, to tease apart the man from the theory a little bit when it comes to Ken, right? Obviously, he's like all of us. He's on a journey of uh, working through and expressing whatever his uh, inherited and developed tendencies are. But the theory that he brought forward um, suggests we ought to be able to look at individuals who have some degree of spiritual realization and separate that from an evaluation of the social community that they've set up, that these are independent metrics in the quadrants, and that we also should be able to look at them as excelling or not excelling on various developmental lines, and that shadow work has to be a richly foregrounded element of spiritual communities going forward, because whatever we might think about Adi Dar or any of these other people, they're not historically uncommon. <laughs> uh, so we need to, um, I, th I think this is implicit in the theory that Ken worked on and that we all kind of share is those things have to be um, really made more salient for everybody, whether they're outside of or within these communities. Uh, Mark, do you want to take us into your sense of Andrew Cohen? Sure. So my Andrew Cohen origin story is that I was in Boulder in, I believe it was 2001, uh, the summer, and he was giving a talk in, in a well-known bookstore, downtown Boulder, relatively well-attended talk. He was well-known at that point. And he was such a bully to the crowd that I walked out after about 15 minutes because I thought this is utterly useless. This man can't teach me anything uh, or I don't want to be like this. This is terrible. And it was just basically him again, sort of saying, I'm only going to answer questions on X. And if you ask me ones on Y, I'm not going to answer them. And he just carried that out in sort of the worst possible way. And I left. I think Cohen is a, is another one of these people like Da. He has, in my estimation, some degree of actual realization, real spiritual experience. His story of, let's say, waking up is pretty compelling. 
uh, in the telling. I don't think he's fabricating it. On the other hand, he overestimates, I think, uh, himself. Um, and so there is, again, this feature of narcissism and which Ken either saw and didn't respond to or uh, didn't see and let pass through. Now, what I would say is that the big interface between Integral and uh, Cohen was Ken and the Cohen magazine, What is Enlightenment? So Ken would do these guru pundit, pundit dialogues where Andrew was the guru and Ken was the pundit. And they would have discussions about integral theory and second tier and spiritual awakening and evolutionary enlightenment and such. And those carried on for a fairly long time, as far as I remember. Now, probably the best thing to come out of Cohen's community was his magazine. He was a really quite rich uh, spiritual magazine looking at all different kinds of people and all kinds of approaches to enlightenment and what is it. And so I would say those dialogues and that magazine, uh, the community had some touch point to those things. Now, in terms of events and actual sort of integration into the community where Cohen would come and be seen as a teacher by a lot of people, that never really happened. The, at best, there were some sort of lieutenants of Cohen, let's say, who got engaged with the integral theory conferences and at lower levels, you know, made some inroads and presentations and such. But there was a tension there. They were difficult to deal with as a as a group of people. They often had demands or this and that, and it made him unpleasant to deal with. But there was he didn't quite make this crossover where he became, let's say, an integral teacher in the way that Diane Hamilton or Terry Patton or maybe Roger Walsh, folks who would have ascended to the wisdom elder hierarchy within integral. Uh, Cohen never made that transition. I think on some level he wanted to. That's based on my attendance at one more event where Cohen was present, which also gave me the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> I said to him, I said, Andrew, you know, you're doing this we space stuff. It sounds, you know, really interesting. Do you think that anybody is doing anything remotely like what you're doing? Because by the way, lots of people were doing we space stuff. And he said, no. <laughs> he just said, it's just us, only us doing this totally cutting edge thing. We're the one and only. But so in any case, when it, when the, the information about Andrew and his mistreatment of students was not totally clear. There were some books around it. There was, you know, word on the street, but this was pre-internet in the strong sense where you could just Google and get all this information in 20 minutes. So we didn't really know what was the truth. And if anything, this is where Integral can fail, my opinion, is we get a little green. 
were like, we don't know, we don't want to interfere. I think some of that was a little bit of my tendency, although I did let someone sell a book critical of Cohen at our integral theory conference. That was my little bit of playing both sides. But the scandal itself that took Cohen down happened in his community very, very much. It was a homegrown revolution in that group. I know that from firsthand information at in great, uh, great and gory detail. So he was a problematic endorsement, I think, of Ken's vis-a-vis the magazine, but he was not quite an integral community scandal. He was integral adjacent uh, of a scandal. That would be how I would talk about that. Uh, and I do think he had some things to offer. Uh, I think, again, he overestimated, but he wasn't empty of substance either, to, to be fair. I appreciate you, you know, letting that person sell a book critical of Cohen. I think, you know, behind a lot of this is we all need to be better at embracing criticism uh, and trying to become more anti-fragile rather than tr- trying to protect a brand and the shininess of people. Andrew Cohen's an interesting one for me. I remember uh, as a kid being drawn to a book on a shelf in a bookstore that turned out to be an Andrew Cohen book. And there were some things I appreciated about it, but at the same time, I wasn't that into reading it. (laughs) And that kind of ambiguity stayed with me the whole time. So I got to know him better as I started to read the magazine, which was a legitimate achievement by him and also by the members of the community who were working on that and their attempt to bring forward an evolutionary enlightenment, a collective enlightenment. I think those are good projects, and there were a lot of good people who were integral adjacent, integral resonance involved in those projects. And even the talks that he and Ken gave together, Guru and Pandit, I think, uh, in being willing to present those two styles of discourse together in front of people live, I think that was a really interesting opportunity and that those are very rich events. I appreciate that Andrew has tried to learn a more integral language and frame what he's doing from that richer perspective. And I think that ended up making the breakdown of his community a a better situation than it might otherwise have been, right? If there was a, he was overbearing and zealous and it struck me as a kind of Captain Ahab character with a, a world historical missionary zeal probably exaggerated, probably narrow, not as richly human as he needed to be, a little bit too masculinist in a way. That community could have gone in a much worse direction, but there was a situation there where the maturity and the integral operating system was a part of this, of the students, allowed them to say, we don't really want it to go like this anymore. Uh, And then he was willing to, after some negotiations, step back and let that go away as the form. So I come into it and I've I've only met him personally in the last couple of years. The discussions we've had have been uh, pleasing to me in terms of him seeming more human, richer, more sensitive, more humorous than I remember thinking of him being before. So my hope is that that's authentic and that he's continuing to evolve and that being associated with an integral framework for his work made that work um, collapse and transform in a more graceful way than might otherwise have been the case. Uh, Namali, how about you? 
Yeah, so Andrew Cohen, also in the late 90s, I don't know how, but somehow randomly I found a, a book by uh, Andrew Cohen in a tiny Sri Lankan bookstore in Colombo. And I did buy that and I read it and it didn't do anything for me. I remember taking it with me to a month-long yoga retreat that I did in Bangalore, India. And that was the like the reading that I was going to do on my plane and all that. And it didn't really do much. But uh, once I came to Boulder, then obviously I met him a couple times because he used to do these recordings, the Guru Pandit stuff or have, a, they did have at least one or two events in person in, in, in one in Denver, perhaps, and one in Boulder, perhaps. The one in Boulder was actually them. So his organization renting out the Boulder Integral Center, which is what Jeff Salzman and I used to run. Um, so that was a like what we considered a rental event. It wasn't really an integral event. One thing I'd like to just say off the bat here is that all the folks that Mark is kind of bringing up, Ga, uh, Da, uh, Cohen, um, Gaffney, Gempo, I think it's really important to actually say they all had their own communities that were really vibrant and even large and even perhaps in many ways more, way more active than the integral community was. And the mistake in some ways that Enrogel made or Ken Wilber made is that he, I don't know who among you was saying this, but he really doesn't have, in my opinion, much of an antenna for picking up certain personality characteristics of people. If they were, if Ken was able to meet someone else, else at his own intellectual depth and level, he felt really gratified by that. And so he would continue to have these incredible conversations with these people that were really smart, spiritually really highly developed and evolved people. So Ken mostly related to them at that level. And I think I, beyond that, he didn't care much or he didn't know much or didn't dig around much. It, it's almost like it didn't matter to him. So that was a fault. I think that was a mistake on the part of Ken because people would complain about these teachers to Ken and it's like it would go through one year and go out the other because Ken wasn't very emotionally charged. He's the kind of the quintessential Enneagram 5, just headspace. The other thing that was going on in relation to all of these teachers in some sense was so I'm talking 20 years ago, pretty much, you know, nearly 20 years ago. Ken was speaking about the uprising of the postmodern, the, like the mean green meme for a very long time. And he was, he was very vocal about it. And there was this tendency inside the integral community that if there was an outspoken, you know, vivacious kind of personality that was, um, gregarious and you know the kinds of personalities like the Gaffneys and the Cohens and the Das that that they were willing to be politically incorrect that they were willing to take big risks spiritual risks because they were so committed to the spiritual realization and there was a tendency in the integral community or rather I would say maybe just Ken I think to to sort of admire that because it was it was sort of in that in their own way 
an unwillingness to give into the postmodern sensitivities. And because of that, if you critique these teachers or if you criticize them, if you spoke out against them, then I would be called, I'm green. So you're green, you're too sensitive, you're too postmodern, and you don't get these people. And that's why you have a problem with these teachers. And so, so because of that, I think some people in the integral community just didn't say anything very much. Even while we might hear really shitty things, we might just be quiet because who wants to be called green? <laughs> so I think there was this tendency in Ken to kind of communicate with these people because they met him at his own spiritual and intellectual depth. And then he would just kind of ignore the other little squeaky wheels. So I think that's fascinating because I see it almost the opposite, which is that if this was, these were instances of integral being green and not stopping red, let's say. So that would be one analysis of, uh, you know, what's the problem with green or what's one of the problems with green. Green sees red and lionizes it because it's anti-establishment and goes, oh, that's great because you're fighting the, the system or the purpose or the man. And we're not going to judge you because, you know, we need this revolutionary energy. So have at it. And for us to judge you is to be dominating, exclusionary, elitist, etc. So I actually felt that these guys got a pass because there was a, a not enough backbone in the integral community to stand up and be like, we're not going to put up with this shit, you know, to the extent that we would know yeah. and have reliable information on what the, the shit possibly was. But like, it, it's almost funny because the way you tell it, Namali, it's like people were trying not to be green in a certain way, but I would say... <laughs> <laughs> they were still being green. No, it's not that we were trying not to be green. It's more that we would not speak up and because we would fear being called green. I see. Or, you know, so because I like, for example, Ken would call Andrew the rude boy of enlightenment. Yeah. And so that was a good thing, you know. Yeah. And um, yeah, that so that was sort of, I think, his Ken's own elevation. Of those who he thought were willing to fight the green machine. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, it's very interesting. And it could could have something to do with you being in, in the boulder sphere and watching him do that versus, you know, things that happened outside the boulder sphere and the choices. Well, I found myself participating in. You know, and I I look back and think I was being kind of green, and so were people around me by not not holding a higher standard, let's say, mm -hmm. um, for for who you know might get this or that invite or a pass, even. So yeah, fascinating. Bruce, there's something I want to say. Maybe that relates to our channel here, also. But I'll first say, yeah, I agree with a lot of that. I, I definitely experienced that too. 
in general online communities, um, there would be uh, quick efforts to put someone down or slot them in green and silence people if they're if they're expressing certain kinds of concerns. And so people would sit on them. I, I definitely witnessed that. Um, and I, I actually see what Mark is saying too, that it was, you know, uh, possibly a green impulse itself not to address the issue. I first came across Cohen in some writings, and I remember appreciating at that time his call for uh, greater moral integrity among spiritual teachers. That was very early on in the late 80s, probably, or early 90s. When I was in India teaching at the Krishnamurti School, I've shared on the channel before, but we had several people over that year come to us who had been traumatized at an event with Cohen. Um, they had been in, you know, a teaching with him, been abused um, in their own ex experience of it, um, felt hurt by the experience, and uh, came to the Krishnamurti Center to sort of recover. And that happened more than once, so it really stuck out to me. Um, but then for a little while, you know, Cohen wasn't on my radar that much until, again, after the integral naked really gets rolling and the what is enlightenment is out. And I thought that was a fantastic magazine and really great work. Um, and I also enjoyed those Guru Pundit dialogues. But I began to increasingly hear about different things going wrong in the community and different excesses that I wasn't really comfortable with. Um, at least I was concerned about. Um, you mean the integral community or the Cohen community? The Cohen community. Yeah, around at, at Fox Hollow and all of that, I started hearing stories about things going on in the inner circle. And and then, you know, at some point, though things were, he hadn't stepped down yet, but when things were reaching a crescendo, um, William Yenner joined my Integral Post-Metaphysical Spirituality Forum and shared a little bit about his experiences before he published his book. And again, just like with the other guy um, and Adi Da, William Yenner talked to me, you know, privately, you know, about some of his experiences and his concern that Integral was still kind of platforming a character that he found to be, you know, problematic. And I, I agree with what other comments have been made about, I think, overall, the maturity of, of Cohen's community and his students and possibly the Integral model um, helped them weather a very difficult storm. And what I wanted to say about this channel is that when I first opened this channel, um, I actually opened it up as a place to have difficult conversations. I wasn't thinking of it as a more general platform for integral ideas. I wanted it to be a place where on the online forums where there were really difficult conversations happening that always broke down because they were in print, possibly we could do them in a video context and, and make more progress than happens in the text medium. But then going forward in that, we felt if we launched the channel from those grounds, it might really limit and color it to a, a purely kind of antagonistic or contentious kind of medium. And we didn't want that either. So we we decided to do a soft opening and 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 just do more, you know, engagement with people and, and people who we consider to be, you know, interesting voices in the community who often weren't getting highlighted. But one of the things in the very early conversations as we opened this channel was I said very adamantly, I don't want to bring on this channel the same old voices, especially the same old voices that have caused Integral 
to suffer in the eyes of the <laughs> larger world in terms of the endorsements and things. So Cohen and Gaffney and a few others were on that list of people that I really did not want to have on this channel. I have since changed my mind about um, Andrew Cohen. I, I really feel like he has gone through some period of digestion of what happened and and feels some degree of remorse and and an interest in moving forward and growing from the experience. And I respect that. And uh, in the encounters and conversations we've had with him, and uh, you know, with some others associated with him, I've had a good feeling overall. And so I'm I'm happy with that. I'm I'm at this point still less comfortable with with us platforming Mark Gaffney. Uh, but I have really mixed feelings about that. And we'll we'll be coming to Gaffney in just a moment. Some of the things that Gaffney shares I really love. And, and actually some of it is really close to how I would want to formulate it in in from my own perspective in terms of certain kinds of insights really resonate with me. It's like I I see it that way too, or I see that. And so I can feel a lot of uh intellectual affinity with portions of what he's doing. But so far from my side, I haven't seen the accounting for the past that I did witness in Andrew Cohen with, with Mark Gaffney. So, but anyway, I just wanted to, we can get into that more later, but I just want to say that now is that that's been a tension point for me in doing this platform and this channel um, as we're growing. And part of our platforming of these people is my trust in Lehman to handle it well. I, I think, you know, Lehman will handle it with nuance and, 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 you know, but I, I, I'm also mindful of the people who do reach out to us who have had very firsthand experiences of being burned and, and feeling hurt by us seeming to turn a blind eye to what for them was very traumatic. And I definitely don't want that. So I'm hoping, yeah, this conversation can, can move us forward, you know, in some, in some healthy ways. Yeah, I think we'll come back around to some of those issues after this next round. Um, I wanted to touch in on that exchange between Mark and Namali because there's something very interesting there. There's a kind of a, a green shadow element, right, where people can and the community can uh, embody, unconsciously embody certain elements of what it would call green while demonizing certain other aspects of what it would call green and allowing people without really noticing it, allowing them to suppress themselves out of fear of being denounced as green. So there's a weird way in which uh, green still haunts integral, or at least did in some of these circumstances that has several different forms where it looks like there's too much and also like it's the thing that's being exaggeratedly attacked. And that's a pretty common psychological pattern in many areas. Uh, Mark, do you want to lead us into your take on Mark Gaffney? Uh, do I? As um, treacherous as that discussion might be. <laughs> yeah, shake, shake it out a little bit. Shake it out. <laughs> jump jump a little rope. Yeah. Got a sweat going before. Um, breaths. <laughs> yeah. So I think Gaffney... Whereas the other two folks are, are integrally related and there's some intrigue and, and quasi-scandal, one could say. I think Gaffney is the real deal. He's the real article. He's a real scandal who really 
uh, a really scandalous person, I would say, who got very deep into the community and is much more of a saga than either of the two, or if we get to Genpo Roshi. Um, my dealings with Cohen go back pretty far and have several iterations. I believe my first awareness of Cohen, and I, don't quote me on this, but I, Gaffney? I mean, Gaffney, thank you, was in 2006. I heard some, let's say, through the grapevine that he was a bit of a creepy guy. That was sort of the initial take that was given to me. I actually know Molly somehow connect that that impression to you. Um, somehow I connect that you were in Boulder and you had communicated that message perhaps to somebody in the JFK circle, but I can't guarantee that memory. It's very vague. But in my first interaction with him, I, I went to Boulder for uh, an event and I had like 103 fever. <laughs> so I was walking around this Boulder gathering and everybody was there. And this guy came up and he said, hi, I'm Mark Gaffney. And I said, yeah, I've, I've heard of you. Nice to meet you, you know, whatever. I said, you know, don't shake my hand because I'm quite sick. And he sort of smiled at me and then proceeded to move in and shake my hand. And I can't quite articulate the feeling, uh, but the thought was, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> it was sort of like I gave him a very bro code, like, don't touch me, I'm contagious kind of boundary. And he he walked right through it. And while that doesn't, you know, account for the many other things I'll have to say, that moment did throw me off because it was so peculiar and felt like a performance that he was trying to ingratiate himself to me or something or to prove something. And I, meanwhile, thought that this was like very inappropriate in a, in a bro code kind of way. Uh, but basically what seemed to happen with Gaffney is there were multiple points at which things he purportedly did came up and reached a sort of boiling point. So I think I remember one around 2008, one around 2010, one around 2012, one a bit later where rumors and um, some internet memories would surface accusing Gaffney of various things. Now, probably the big one that people know is that when he was a teen, an older teenager, 19, he, he purportedly, allegedly had a relationship with a 13-year-old girl. Uh, as far as I know, that is true from people who are one degree of separation from those events. And then there were sort of, in addition, these accusations that would come out again periodically that he was really abusing his role as a teacher to basically sleep with women in his community. And that for a while remained for me 
second degree or third degree of separation information. Later, it became first degree. So I actually talked to people who were involved and got a picture. But basically, to back up a little bit, there was a a well-known figure in the integral community uh, who I won't name, who was calling me about, I believe, the 2010 integral conference that I was at that time sort of the lead organizer, co-lead organizer. And he said to me, you know, I got, I got invited to your conference. I'd love to come, but I can't endorse any community that endorses Gaffney. He's a sociopath. And that's the bottom line. And I remember that conversation very clearly. And it was respectful. I, I you know, I'm a therapist. I have a sense of what a sociopath is at that point. But I didn't have the proof I felt where I could step in and, and shut down, let's say, the Gaffney train. So I heard this guy's point of view, but it was it was a little bit early in the process. And we were young. I mean, I was 33 something at that point, maybe 35. And I didn't feel like I had the gravitas to to be able to cut somebody who was very popular in the community off. And he was very popular in the community. He did become one of the more well-known spiritual teachers in the community, like Diane, like Terry, like Mark Gaffney, or like like Diane, like Terry. Along, He became uh, alongside them, and they put on these big integral spiritual experience conferences, very well-received, well-liked, et cetera. Uh, and he made his way into the upper echelons and people paid attention. Now, I then got the chance to be in a reading group with him. So I sat next to him for 20 to 30 hours listening to him. And my impression sort of became more and more, this guy is an empty, talking, self-aggrandizing person. He has no understanding of what he's saying he's putting together fancy words so he can uh, abuse his power. Um, unlike, I would say, Cohen or even Da, where I recognize, okay, there's some degree of, of actual understanding going on here, whatever the mix of, of you know, narcissistic traits might be. Uh, and the two personal interactions I had with Gaffney were him once with Sally Kempton, his friend and sort of defender, trying to convince me that the, he was being railroaded by all these people. Uh, and this wasn't his fault. It was everybody else's fault, uh, et cetera, et cetera, sort of wine, wine, wine. And it just that it didn't fly with me because I could feel, you know, that there was no responsibility being taken on his end. And there's a really good article out there by Terry Patton sort of talking about his attempt to get Gaffney to own a little bit of the stuff. And if anybody would be qualified to do that, it would be Terry because he was Da's disciple and, you know, was not anti-crazy wisdom, let's say. Uh, but then basically flash forward a couple more years, Gaffney got somehow tagged as an integral teacher, possibly in the New York Times. 
and people had been dissociating themselves from him for a couple of years but this was like the final insult i think and there was still yet more rumor of scandal going on this was about 2015 or 16 and i think at that point the community finally in in more uniform way said enough we we can't take this guy anymore holding our flag now unfortunately he still has some integral folks in his clutches and i've tried to say things and warn people but you know people are going to do what they're going to do um and but i guess i would say in in our to our criticism we didn't act fast enough there was enough smoke that we probably should have acted uh a couple of years earlier and that's on us and i wouldn't do it again that way uh in defense of ourselves once the internet became more cohesive it became easier so there's a guy named william harriman who who we brought on again as a kind of anti-blogger for the conference who was very critical of Gaffney, but he compiled like all of these links and you could kind of see the pattern on the internet in a much clearer way. And I think that was the first time that we had like all the data, let's say in one place at one time, rather than this rumor, that rumor, et cetera, coming from this person or that. So to our defense, I don't think we had, yeah, the information that would be easy to find today. And that might have helped us go faster. But I I think, you know, we we got we got taken, basically. We got conned, grifted. And in that sense, we're human beings. But you know, we ought to we ought to be smarter than that. Um, we we should have done better is my impression it's an interesting question for the integral stage because we have mark on sometimes same as andrew uh, we have a lot of discussions about whether or when or how to do that and a lot of discussions surrounds what it means to a platform and whether a conversation counts as amplifying something or exploring something or whether it counts as a cage or like there's a lot of different ways to approach the overall theory of communication. Uh, I think it's well said that there's a lot of smoke there for sure, right? And that's a signal of some kind. For me, the, the Gaffney that I meet, like the Cohen that I meet, is probably different in temperament to some degree than a person who people were meeting 10 or 20 years ago. They're at a different point in their life. So I'm not getting the full sample in that respect. Uh, I have a pretty good relationship with him, I think I would like to be able to get him into a conversation about these issues that's richer than the conversations that I've seen. And I've spoken to some people who were very convincing about the harm they saw or the harm they felt was inflicted on them. I think that's essential. And I want those people to feel free to come forward and talk about that, although they often don't want to. But I would like to get a conversation from him that's richer than accusations and defensiveness because the defensiveness to me is is useless i don't need to hear that from him i appreciate terry's critique that he doesn't hear curiosity there i would like to hear some curiosity about what happened and what other people were going through in those circumstances um, 
Mm, yeah, that's all. I think oh, one of the other things is in addition to whatever was happening, there's a vibe there. That, and this contributes to the smoke thing too. People who are subtly sensitive, a lot of them feel their subtle alarm bells go off around him. And sometimes that means danger. Sometimes that means the person you're dealing with themselves was traumatized, often both. And sometimes it's just a, a, a weird, peculiar flavor. And there is a strangeness to the sense that people get from him. And I think sometimes that strangeness is taken as proof of crimes. Sometimes that strangeness points to a thing in a character that might make them actually commit violations of other people's integrity. So it's a very messy, murky kind of evaluation to be in, uh, from my point of view, which is a very privileged, <laughs> getting back to just having conversations kind of point of view. Uh, Namali, what's your, what's your sense of Mark? Gaffney, that is. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Um, the biggest sort of black mark, if there is one, on the integral community and Ken Wilbur is his endorsement of Mark Gaffney and his refusal to come to. He, he, he sort of never really publicly communicates with, with Gaffney anymore. But I think I hear a little bit of from, you know, other places that perhaps they still maybe talk occasionally. And I'm very upset about that. I just don't understand why Ken cannot just simply just end it with Gaffney. I don't understand it. And I, I, I do understand it. I think it is because Ken, like, literally, he's just kind of blind to these kinds of things he i don't know how much ken really just actually feels he just kind of intellectualizes these kinds of dramas that happen i mean more than dramas but real life issues for me um there's a lot to say about gaffney and i'll try to like be as brief as i can but i met my, i first of all i'll say i know at least i personally know and have had conversations with at least four women who have been severely hurt by him. One of them, I know for a fact, was all out to support him and defend him. And that's what has always happened with Gaffney, is that he is the master seducer. He will seduce you. He will recruit you. And then he has the perfect ways in which he will let you know that all these complaints about me, they're all green. He, now, he, he flat out says that. They're all green because they don't understand me. You don't fall into that. Some of these things are things he said to me. Gaffney, personally, he said those things. Right? I've met him multiple times. And... When I first met him, it was the very first integral spiritual gathering at uh, the Denver Westin Hotel. I was very much involved in the organizing of the event. And I also just want to say, because I'm pretty sure he's going to be watching this. He knows me. And I know for a fact he will just deny every bit of everything I'm saying, because already I have brought up these things to him to his face in the presence of other people, and he flat out denied them. 
And that's the problem with even you, layman. If you think that you can get him to speak about these things, he's not going to speak about this. He has never in the last, since 2005, which is when the controversy about him broke out within the integral community, even though the controversies go way back before that in his own communities that integral has never been a part of, like, for example, in Israel. Dr. Phil ha almost had him by his, his nails and then eventually turned out to be something about internet bullying and the whole Dr. Phil show in which uh, Gaffney was his guest. Even Dr. Phil, we, he, uh, Gaffney never admitted even to one. He wouldn't acknowledge anything. And that's a really, really big problem for me. It's like, so, so yeah, the very first integral spiritual experience, each time a teacher, I mean, these were incredible teachers, Father Thomas Keating, Brother David Steindl Rast, uh, Patrick Sweeney, uh, so Diane Hamilton, and just a lot of incredible people were coming for these, for this gathering. And I was organizing a lot of them. I was emailing these teachers, like planning everything, booking their hotel rooms and blah, blah, blah. And my very first encounter with Gaffney was when when he was dropped off at the hotel. It was close to midnight. And my one of the things that I did at this event was each time a teacher was dropped off, I was the one who greeted them at the front desk. And my job was to greet them with this single red rose, um, long-stemmed uh, single red rose, and would offer them their like their welcome packet and this red rose. And so around midnight, I go down to the front desk area and Gaffney was dropped off. And, and I'm like, hello, Rabbi Gaffney. And I give him his red rose. He takes it and he does this thing and he just does this like body scan, you know, and I'm not claiming to be, I mean, this is, 50, you know, however long, 2005, I think this is a really long time ago, but I still remember to this day how I felt with that gaze. So I'm a very broad-minded woman and I love flirting and I love like the juiciness of what can happen between like cute you know nice sexy interactions like that I'm very open to all that but just that little up down gaze as he took that red rose just sent a weird thing down my spine like yeah that felt a little inappropriate for a teacher to do that with a staff member kind of thing staff member of integral institute my thing was whenever things like that happen, I don't keep it to myself. A lot of other women keep it to themselves and they sort of think that, oh, I must be really special. In my case, what I felt like this has nothing to do with me. This is just him creating a little trip. This is his way of seducing, just kind of pulling people into his orbit, into his energy. So what I did was I was sharing a room with with a, a man that I was close to at the time at that hotel. And I like welcomed him, gave him his red rose, you know, his keys, showed him where his room was and all that. And I went into my room and I told this man, wow, like Gaffney just did this. And he was kind of really weird the whole time, the way it's very sort of seductive, you know, is what I said. So this is long, in that way, there were certain emails that he would send me th things like, you know, like, 
you're a goddess and I want to get to know you. Like, but you know, we can't ever get to know each other in these like public places. So come to my hotel room. Like just flat out, he would say things like that. And one of the women who was supportive of him was eventually one who was most vocal about how hurt she was. Um, And she admitted to all her, she would acknowledge her role in that. That's what I wish Gaffney would do sometimes, and he never would. When everything blew up just before another event, and he was supposed to come to the U.S., and we got the news that he had to like escape out of Israel or whatever, he was hiding in Oregon, all that happened. My phone rang while I still remember that. Roly used to drive Ken's Jeep, old Jeep at the time. And he's driving the Jeep. I'm in I'm in the Jeep traveling with him. And my phone rings and it was Gaffney. And Gaffney said, hey, I'm in Boulder. And I'm in this woman, Patty Page or whoever was one of his supporters, had got him a room at one of the hotels in, in a condo in Boulder, downtown Boulder. And he said, I'd love to see you. But, you know, as you can hear, there's a lot going on. And don't come alone. Come with a man. So I said, okay, can I bring Roly? And he said, okay. And then I also said, I'll, I also would like to bring one other man who was my friend, Steve, Steve Frizzi. And we, both of these men were men with whom I had already shared stuff about Gaffney prior to any uh, explosion of what was going on, the controversies. So when I went, we went to Gaffney's condo that day, and it was so funny. I still remember this. We enter his condo, and I had to point out to him, uh, your zipper is down. Your fly is down. <laughs> it's like, not good. So it's like, oh, okay. So he zipped up. I still remember all this very clearly. Eventually, I told him, Gaffney, do you, like, I'm on your side. I hear all these stories. And I really, I'm like, I'm on your side. I think women should know better. Honestly, that was my perspective at the time. Like these women who are complaining about Gaffney, they weren't taking care of themselves. They like they should have known who, um, uh, you know, a crook is. You should know, like the way I know, like the way I pick up on these energies of, of guys and I know how to protect myself. I think every woman should know that. That's how I was. And I still think, think that to some degree. I think women really do all, should be more careful. But I told him, I can understand why some women would have completely be enamored by you, have misunderstood you, because you did some of these things with me. And I listed them one by one in front of Roly and Steve in the same room. And he denied each one to my face. All these things that Roly and Steve already knew before the controversies ever broke out. So he's a liar. He's a pathological liar. And he will never acknowledge anything. And he has he has really hurt women through his manipulative ways over the years. Certain ways in which I I even I meet a woman even now on a monthly basis. They have a lot of trauma work that they'll have to do for years to come. That level of seduction, manipulation, predatory behavior. Like, I can honestly say after that one meeting where if he had acknowledged at least to some degree, I would have been on his side. I would have been, let's talk about, let's work with it. I want to try and help you. That's where I would have been. 
but his refusal to acknowledge to take any uh, ownership of his behavior is what has eventually led me to believe that he'll continue to do his own behavior. And for as long as someone is protecting him, giving him a platform, Zach Stein, you, Layman, I'm not happy about that. I hate to say this. And I'll just, I would rather say it to your face than to just, you know, say it anywhere else or anything like that. And at the same time, you're you're an independent agent and you get to do what you get to do. But I will honestly say when it comes to Gaffney, I have way too much data, way too much information, way too much real life, actual relationships and knowing through my own um, experiences, as well as these other four, only four women that I personally know, but I know of a lot of other women, like the, the, the whole thing that happened at Sounds True with Tammy Simons, uh, Tammy, one of the employees of Sounds True. I don't know those women, but there's just, it, it's just, I don't understand why we need, there's nothing that special that any of these teachers have to offer. Gaffney, Cohen, Gempo. You know, Gempo actually, I will say, so just briefly I'll say, Gempo, I think really did remove himself from teaching. And he went through a deep process of healing and rectifying and like apologizing and like deep, deep therapy. So, and he's never really come out. Um, since the controversy. And in his case, it was him having an affair. But Gaffney Gaffney is just a flat out no for me. And I will never, I'm, I'm not supportive of him continuing to always be given a platform because of people who feel that these women don't matter somehow. Ultimately, it looks like that. It feels like really you're just, you keep continuing to give him a platform and he will eventually, it's only a matter of time where he just can't really stop seducing and he will probably hurt someone else at some point. So a lot of energy for me. I'm sorry. It's a lot of energy, but there you go. (laughs) I just want to add in here something that I think is really important because it doesn't get talked about enough that with each of these figures that we've talked about, Gaffney included for sure, he, they have ways of manipulating and ultimately victimizing men, which are often just as effective. If you really look at, we focus on the women. It's sort of our first, look as a species safety of women is a you know a sort of ingrained thing but if you look you also see sort of the the bo- pile of bodies uh of men particularly young men who are vulnerable or who have something that can be used there they line up there i mean da mowed his way through lots of men in the sense of sleeping with their wives and breaking their relationships or just breaking them down. Cohen certainly had many men that he domineered over during his time. And Gaffney knows how to seduce men, Uh, whether that's in a sexual sense, I've never heard that, but he knows how to find some people who are vulnerable, very smart people 
and recruit them to his side because I think he he knows what the feel good Kool Aid is, uh, and he'll give you that feel good Kool Aid about yourself or your life. And young men want that Kool Aid too, and so there's a lot of cross gender shrapnel that gets thrown around, and so just to to put that in there, it's sort of also a belief of mine that if a society is oppressive to women, you should take a look at what's happening to the men. It's probably not good either. So just piggybacking off of everything Omali said. Thank you. Bruce, you got some more to add here? I don't have that much firsthand experience with him. I, I did meet him at an integral theory conference. I was uh, in conversation with William Harriman um, while he was collecting a lot of that information, and he shared a lot of it with me as well. Um, so I, I did see that fairly significant electronic trail of different um, incidents and stories. One piece that I have two kind of personal stories in that one, uh, a friend of mine, his girlfriend is a well-known, young, um, really brilliant and super sensitive spiritual teacher. And she didn't know anything about Gaffney, but he Gaffney was in the area and he asked if she wanted to go see him and check him out. And she came back from the encounter really disturbed and said, what's going on with this person? Um, I got really disturbed by my encounter with him. There's a lot of dark energy around him. And she just felt thrown off by that encounter. So I trust her overall as a pretty sensitive and intuitive person. And she definitely had alarms go off immediately without any knowledge of who he was or why she was going to see him. But another thing I've, I've, you know, talked to some people about, there was a, a time when, uh, you know, a, a recent incident had taken place. There had been some controversy and, and Gaffney had been trying to, you know, clean things up. At least that was the intention of people around him to, you know, <laughs> control yourself and let things go in a better way. And something else had happened again, another kind of slip up that was going to come to light. And he called Ken Wilbur, um, and I'm, you know, talking about this from the reports of people who were also in the room while the speakerphone was on. And basically, Gaffney admitted to doing it and said, I'm sorry this happened. You know, I know I shouldn't do this, and but, you know, and Ken laid into him and really blasted him for, for doing this kind of thing again. Um, and then within one or two days, publicly online, Gaffney was denying absolutely anything had ever happened. So there was a clear indication of what Nomali is saying is that, you know, if it comes to any public accounting, it's not likely to happen. Personally, I would love to see it happen. Like I mentioned, there are certain things that uh, Gaffney talks about that I like, and I like the way he frames it and that sort of thing. But I think if there is this much wreckage in the wake, we have to look at what is really valuable. And is there anything in this collection of ideas that's worth elevating to, to the disregard of all of the other <laughs> things that are that are happening? And I'm, I'm not actually comfortable with that either. 
So I know we're, you know, and, and turn this back over to you, Layman, but I know we're, you know, we're on an hour and a half. And I, I know that there were some things that uh, we wanted to bring up that were not particularly teacher and scandal related, but there were other things that Integral has not done well that Namali could share or, or others of us could talk about. So do you all have time for that? I'm okay. I have until, I'm okay. Just I have until three. all have time, yeah. Uh, is there, well, let's take advantage of the time we've got. Is there any particular reason we want to get into Genpo Roshi or, or does anyone have anything else they want to add that they feel like not necessarily a scandal around an individual, but maybe something that the community hasn't done well, should do differently in the future, something of that same order? Flaws. How can we bring our flaws forward? <laughs> so I might say that there's, Part of what sort of hurts about these accusations is people expect or expected more from Integral that because we were spirituality and psychology, that we would be better at handling these issues and that we weren't better is evidence that where our, our claims are empty. I can understand that perspective. As a clinician, though, what I would say is that we are just not that well set up as a species to deal with anomalous and personality disordered persons. It's, it's just not a, a chip that we necessarily come with. Sometimes it's something that we learn over time, but we're all susceptible to folks like this. I mean, I might say, you know, the country, 45% of the country just voted for somebody who clearly has, you know, just voted in a president who clearly has lots of psychopathology and, you know, personality issues and it's broadcast so loudly and consistently and yet he serves a purpose or people don't see it or some combination and so it's just sort of an example writ large of how somehow poorly we i believe are equipped to deal with these kinds of things i mean Integral psychotherapist Keith Witt said, you know, if you're going to, everybody is sort of crazy on one level. And if you're going to have a divorce between two crazy people, the courts can handle it. But if someone in that relationship is extra crazy, which is a nice euphemism for personality disorder issues, he's like, the courts aren't set up to deal with people who are extra crazy and they don't do a good job in those cases. And th that's what I would say. When there's extra crazy, we're, humans are not necessarily on the ball. And it usually takes a whistleblower, and it usually takes something extra to get that person off the radar once they've insinuated themselves in a group. Let's put it that way. That's not an excuse. It's more like it seems to me like more like an is 
So I can understand why people would be disappointed in integral, but I think it's more complicated, this issue. Yeah, there's, uh, there is something where the emergence that we're pointing to with integral, this idea that there is some kind of integrative solution set does make us legitimately eager, maybe even hasty for the answers to already be in place. And when we run into the fact that we are suffering a lot of the same problems as the rest of society, it can be uh, extra devastating because of the hope we put into that. At the same time, and Bruce mentioned this at the beginning, there's a way in which certain kinds of communication and marketing amplify that effect. Right? There's a sort of corporate shininess, this is going to solve all of your problems type of advertising, uh, which runs against the grain of a lot of, I think, the more ragged, uh, more self-transparent new advertising that characterizes a lot of the exciting things going on on the internet. And I think that uh, sets up this idea that Integral is connected with this model of the, of the light savior uh, and that always is going to have some kind of deflating, counterbalancing thing coming at it or coming at it from within, that it might have been too uh, too disposed to use a, a shiny, futuristic American sales tactic and too disposed to try to present itself as omnipositive. And I think a lot of the people we're talking about also have this difficulty of trying to only present positive and deny anything negative about themselves. And I think there might have been a little bit of that in the integral community in terms of how it presented itself. And I think that creates a fragility. And then that's a bit of a mistake going forward that we're going into messier and messier times. And we have to be able to be sturdy in the mess and not present ourselves as a shining thing, which will then inevitably appear to be tarnished. Yeah, I'd like to hear from no, Molly, since the, the title for this, uh, What Integral Has Not Done Well, um, comes from her, and, and she was the one to really ask for the expansion beyond just looking at the scandalous figures. Um, I think this marketing, overselling, and, and in inflationary marketing, too slick, too positive, is definitely one, one key uh, thing that we've not done well in the past, and hopefully we can do better going forward. But yeah, what would you like to add, Namali? Yeah, so I'll just try to like just be really quick, maybe, um, and just sort of sharing some of the non-scandal kind of teacher-related stuff that, as the community was getting started, um, in a way. I also want to say that people have this idea that Integral like collab like had this massive collapse or implosion and that somehow something just kind of really terrible happened in Integral. And I think that never really did in my mind. I think like I said the 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 if there's any kind of a black mark the blackest of them is probably Kim's uh, endorsement of Gaffney which is really just and if he has any ongoing relationships with him then that's the blackest mark. But other than that, everything else is like, I don't think that they're anything really that terrible. Most of it probably had to do with some amount of the founder syndrome. Is the founder syndrome that unusual when you're like doing a little startup, so to say? No. So, um, but I think it still contributed to some of the things that we didn't do so well. Um, so I'm one of the people out of the four of us that was sort of in the offices, in the buildings. 
And I was in no uh, leadership position at all. At one point, I was a co-director of the Integral Spiritual Center, which was sort of under the umbrella of Integral Institute. Um, but really, mostly, I came to the Integral Institute really as an immigrant. Like, they, I was a volunteer, and I would just do whatever I can to help out at events and things like that. So I got to really mostly be an observer of what was going on. And I was very much involved in a lot of um, organizational um, things that happened. But um, I think one of the things that really started to go wrong, not go wrong necessarily, but it's like, here's Wilbur, who was very much a recluse and living like a hermit. And all of a sudden in the late 90s, People are attracted to him. People want to meet him. And he starts inviting people into his hermit, into his into his like retreat in Boulder, his house. And people just love his work. And they're admiring him. And they want to do this with this integral theory. Let's do this. Let's build this. Let's do that. And I think it's a lot of people feeding stuff to him that really like made him feel special. Is there anything that is incredibly bad about it? No. I mean, Ken Wilber ultimately is human. So I think he he felt sort of like, oh, wow, there must be really something here. And so, and so began the work of developing Integral Institute. And I came into that sort of, you know, as a volunteer around 2003. And what I observe is that very quickly. I mean, this was a time when there wasn't even a website, like there was nothing really. But we start building things and people start donating money. Like people were giving real good money to the Integral Institute to build things. And Ken was very excited. The, the kind of the leadership roles were all, we were all just very excited. It's like, wow, we have something really good here. And think about it. This is before Facebook, before YouTube, before, you know, before like any of the stuff that, that people have access to now. So I think Integral Institute got a little too carried away by creating shiny objects like artifacts, like let's create this DVD set, this CD set. And we have this thing that people should be given, people should have. And so it inevitably had sort of like shadowy orange stuff going on. That was basically like orange, sort of unhealthy modernist approach to running an organization that was, that was supposedly promoting these incredible ideals of second tier values and all that so and so that was one thing like the salesy stuff was just too much at one point the other thing was kind of like the hollywood stuff there was a little bit of like hollywood news coming into integral like you know uh billy corgan or um tony robbins and julia armand and Coleman Barks and Deepak Chopra and, oh, Bill Clinton is quoting Ken Wilber. And those kinds of things like Ed Kowalczyk would come and sing at our events. And those kinds of things became, at that time, I think like the staff and Ken, we all got a little smitten by that. And that kind of created this sense of sort of elite arrogance in the office you know it's like oh we must be really special 
those that kind of energy i think was really bad ultimately you know i think i think we meant well in the sense that if these popular people alanis morissette sharon stone and ken were talking and you know if these popular people were into integral then that means that might be the way we can get it out into the masses so we really sort of meant well like there's a gift here that humanity can really be benefited by that but we just kind of it was all it just all felt a little too hollywood at the time and a little too salesy at that time another thing that constantly tended to happen that i remember was people came to boulder like a lot of people would come to boulder because that's where integral institute was and then here's a small staff trying to like build this dream integral university and the multiplex and all the dreams that were coming up people would bring a lot of ideas and then we would never have the capacity to actually follow up so we left a trail of people feeling disappointed i came all the way to boulder and i offered this to you you didn't you took it and you didn't do anything with it or you didn't take it at all you didn't welcome me there's just a lot of like disappointed people and really quite literally it was because we couldn't like we just didn't have the capacity to do anything with it um like i have this example of reaching out to um david and alexander of rebel wisdom when i had sort of at some point i was joining some of their rebel wisdom calls and um there was uh, in a small group i had talked about the immunity to change process and they used to have these practice sessions on their calls and um the people in that small group were like oh you you like this would be great for something to do at rebel wisdom so i reached out to them and i said you know i'd love to offer to do immunity to change and you know and david and alexander they don't know me you know and they were like like yes let's have a call or whatever and then i would never hear back from them and i noticed how like my little ego felt disappointed by that so we that that was like the kind of thing that happened at integral institute a lot of people wanting and coming and wanting to offer something wanting to do something and us just not being able to to you know do anything with it and so and and that leads me also to the fact that we had our like, like our blue amber traditional shadow where we were treating people or other teachers uh in a certain way because they weren't aqua kosher this is the problem it's like if they didn't really get ken wolver's material they couldn't complain about the work if they like you haven't read the bible so you won't understand so therefore your criticisms aren't really valid that was something that we did this is where i think we fell into uh not not engaging critic criticism very well because we would just simply make a judgment and i'm saying we because it's just kind of talking for the whole is not a good idea but i'm just kind of just doing that just because it's not me who necessarily did it but us as a little unit you know and ken did that you know it's like they haven't understood my philosophy they haven't really read the books so why should i you know engage them so that's that was not a good approach either but like this this us being very judgmental about who was aqua kosher and not it was you know again um and, yeah and i i would just put in here that you know the bold your 
you're talking about the Boulder integral experience and in the Bay Area Center, we did everything possible that we could think of to counter all of what Namali just talked about. So we made, we tried to make big events that were relatively cheap to come to. We didn't hype in a particular sort of way. We invited all the critics, uh, you know, down down to the last, you know, down to Frank Visser. Uh, yeah. we, we wanted everybody and we wanted to create this sort of like, if you're not awkward, that's fine. Just tell us what you have to say, sort of camp. Uh, yeah. Because we also felt that, you know, they had a different mission in, in the Boulder world. But this goes back to the conversation the three of us had prior to, you know, to sort of things got moved out of Boulder when Ken got sicker, just in the mid-aughts anyway. But we we really did try to take all of these criticisms and flip them and do the opposite as far as yeah. we could do. Um, and not being in Ken's orbit was probably helpful for that because we were independent of him. He didn't really want to be, <laughs> he sort of said like to us in one email, he sort of said, just so you know, I could take all these critics apart with like one hand behind my back, but uh, I, I can't be bothered. <laughs> and, uh, but he, he, he nonetheless sort of gave, gave his, Happy blessing to uh, to our events. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, just very simply put, I think th there was one. There was another thing. I think there was also, you know, like other kind of random things, like people. Some there was somebody who gave like three hundred thousand dollars to be specifically used for the Interval Spiritual Center as a donation, and it was it ended up being used as like general admin or something. So there were things like that that happened, like mishandling of some people's donations. Um, and then they were like mad about that. And so, I mean, I think those were some of the mistakes that that were made at at like at a lead, leadership level at Interval Institute. And I'll just say really quickly, I think there was also the 2006, I guess, when Ken had his seizures. He was really, you know, out for several months. And during those months, or even before that, actually, the conversation had already begun that a movement or an organization cannot actually thrive with Ken Wilber as the leader of it. He's the spirit, he's the sort of the intellectual, spiritual sort of attraction. He's the sort of the rock star in a way, but he can't be the CEO of this organization. So that was a very, it was he himself initiated the dialogue of bringing on a CEO and having a change of leadership in that sense. And then he gets the seizures, he's out, he nearly died, as many of us know. And then after several months, when he sort of emerges into the world, the leadership of Integral Institute had already brought in a new CEO. And when sort of Ken wakes up and he meets this new CEO, they do not get along. And they are just like, they just kind of hate each other or they just didn't get along. And and there were certain sort of allegations of like staff members that, that were working at, at Integral at Ken's Loft. 
Um, there were certain accusations of mistreatment, inappropriate uh, uh, relationships, maybe, you know, there were just a bunch of things going on back and forth like that. And basically, Ken wanted nothing to do with that CEO. And he was basically fired. He really, I think, genuinely did try to do some good at Integral Institute, trying to introduce holacracy, for example, to the organization, those kinds of things, and really make it an organization. But what that happened inside of the building, inside the staff, was that there were the, the staff divided into three camps. People who got behind the new CEO really loved him people who hated him, and then another third camp, which was like, let's just get to work, which is kind of where I was. And this became a really ugly fight between Ken and that CEO, which is what eventually led to what was called Black Tuesday. And Black Tuesday was basically, we used to meet at Ken's Loft on every, tu um, every Tuesday. They, they were like the staff meetings. And um, Ken, you know, every shadow of Ken just came out. He was mean, he was nasty, lots of accusations. And eventually about six or seven staff members stood up and walked out. That was it. They were done with Integral Institute. Lots of tears, sadness. And I mean, quite honestly, Ken was a jerk at that meeting. Some others were too. In some ways, that was the end of II, because that was the that was it. That was when Integral Institute as a nonprofit organization was set aside. And then they found a new CEO who was Rob Smith. And Rob Smith had a lot to clean up, just a lot of like legal and staffing and all those kinds of financially driven cleanup to do. And I was the first that Rob Smith let go. <laughs> he had to really let go of a lot of people and I was the first to let go and just even just like in classic like hideous fashion I had traveled to Sri Lanka I had uh, a flight to catch in Singapore and I'm like getting on this 15 hour flight from Singapore to San Francisco and I and I found out over an email during my little 90 minute layover that I had been let go so it's like really that's how you had to let me know so uh, but, you know, Rob and I are fine now. Uh, I hated him for a little while, but he and I, we work together fine now. We're all good. But it's it's just that. It's like if you look at Integral Institute back in the day for all of the good that it was trying to do. And by the way, we only spoke about four bad teachers out of 100 other incredible teachers, beautiful, incredible teachers that still love Ken and some of them have passed on. But, you know, if, if it's like we had this archaic beige survival mode we were in that led to some of the pathologies. Were we kind of purplish and magical? Yes, we had a little tribe leader and we would gather around the fire and sing songs of how wonderful our little clan was and have magical ideas about what we wanted to do with the integral. They were not very realistic, very magical in some ways. Was there a lot of red egocentricity? Oh, yeah. A bunch of big egos clamoring together for power and, you know, status and all that. Yes, red stat, uh, shadow. Amber, blue, traditional shadow in integral? Absolutely. We were, you know, that's the occult quotient. You haven't read the Bible, therefore you can't speak against it. And if you don't speak the, the, you know, if you don't get the Bible right, then you don't get to be a part of us. You know, it's a lot of us and theming, the ethnocentric of the integral clan, 
that was there. Um, the shadow of orange. Let's sell this and let's sell that. Let's make shiny objects, you know. Um, let's sell conferences, the salesy aspect. And the green shadow is always within the integral. It's like the green gets bashed because of our in the integral green shadow. So, so that's just a little bit of sort of what I saw as what was going on from inside the building, so to say, you know. That's terrific, Namali. I love the, the, the image of full spectrum shadow. <laughs> Bruce, are you got a couple last thoughts for us before we wrap this up? I was just thinking about this issue of uh, dealing with criticism, especially, and and making connections outside the community. Um, that's something we addressed a little bit in the last, you know, conversation. And as Mark was pointing out, especially in the integral theory conferences, you know, we did try to engage with critics. And I, I say we, I was a not an organizer, I was just an attendee. Um, but there was an attempt to, you know, engage with the critics and also to um, invite people from non-aqua communities. And one of the things that you kind of got to, Mark, was that in the end, it led to a bit of dissociation from Ken. Ken was, as you said, tepid about the events. He's much more enthusiastically supportive, it seems to me, of the integral European conferences than he ever was to the, you know, the California conferences, everyone I went to, there was always a feeling that he, if he made an appearance, it was kind of a, a begrudging and a little bit curmudgeonly appearance. <laughs> and, you know, so I, I really felt that and was, you know, it, it, it made me feel that there are costs to breaking the orthodoxy. And it is to that leading, you know, to that sense of distancing uh, maybe a year or two ago, whenever um, Joe Lightfoot made that uh, liminal web map and integral life was left off of that, you know, I, I felt bad about that because I think integral life is an important hub of ideas and, and really um, a lot of wonderful things going on there. But at the same time, I do feel like it being left off was in some way deserved because integral life mostly nowadays talks to a small circle of people and there's not a lot of outreach to other communities. Nomali's changing that a bit by, you know, reaching out to Verveki and things like that. But for a long time, there hasn't been that outreach and there's been a kind of insularity. And so even though that's not, you know, what was happening with the integral theory conferences, integral life is much more visible to the public. And that's, I think, a, you know, a much more ready impression that people will get. Um, if they even come across it. Also, Integral Life hasn't been sending until recently um, people and, and representatives out to participate in other podcasts to create this sense of shared community. So I definitely feel like that has been a shortcoming in years past. I do feel like it's changing and shifting now. Um, and I'm really excited about, about that because I think if people look back to what's on integral life, there's a lot of wonderful stuff and it's worth digesting and absorbing in this overall meta community concerned about the meta crisis. There's a lot of richness there. Yeah. Can I just say real like quickly, just add a little bit to that. It's true. It's really just about five or six years ago when Jordan Peterson was really, you know, kind of exploding into the scene. 
with really him sort of attacking what Ken Wilber was talking about 25, 30 years ago, this emergence of um, post-modernity in its worst forms, and that when that happens, it'll be a shitstorm. We've known of that all throughout the integral community. And yet when it actually manifested out in media and out in the world, there was no integral voice to actually speak to that. That's what really got me thinking about this about five or six years ago. It's like, what you know, Integral has so much more of a better message to give than what the IDW was doing at the time. And so I was sort of watching the IDW and the sort of the rising of rebel wisdom and the stoa and like all those kinds of things and wondering why isn't Integral in the midst of all of this a couple of years ago, right? And so that's what led me to do the presentation at the Sedona Integral Conference, which I think is what I guess got Mark coming on your call last time and speaking about some of the things that I had thought of in the sense of a polarity that Integral has to, any organization actually really has to do both the centralizing and the decentralizing. This is something that I've been saying for several years now. Integral got too caught, including Integral Life, got too caught in some sense in the centralized pole, which means that it's always going to also have the underbelly of the centralized, which is you become too insulated. You're just kind of speaking to the, singing to the choir. Um, and so the decentralizing would mean a lot of what's been going on out in the world in recent times in the liminal web and integral collaborating with that, integral inviting that into the centralized pole. So doing both of that, if Integral decentralizes too much also, we're going to lose the, the meta message of Integral and the beauty of that message if it's too dispersed and you know the ink drop just disperses too much. So this is why I think we don't, we just have to do both somehow, figure out a way to do the centralizing of preserving Integral and its beautiful message because it truly includes lovingly and compassionately and passionately everything else there is in this world. And so we can do that. And then we can also do the decentralizing of really collaborating. It's doing being more out in the arena. So, yeah. yeah. I think that's well said. And I think if there turns out that we do a third conversation in this series, which I think would be good for the four of us to talk about uh, what the future looks like, what it could be, that those issues are going to be central to this. And going through this process together, I think, is an important step in that. I think it's the kind of conversation that the community hasn't done enough of. And I think we need to, you know, do a lot of mutual sense making around the things that might be uh, hook points for us historically. That doesn't mean that we all come to the same collective unified decision. But it means we hear from everybody and it means we don't flinch away from critique um, or ambiguity or distress or trauma or vulnerability or messiness or any of those things in favor of preserving some kind of idea of ourselves and the idea system. Um, so I'm very grateful to all of you for participating in this. I, I kept thinking because it was scandals, I was going to make a joke about Corey DeVos touching me, and I'm glad <laughs> I <didn't> do that. <laughs> uh, so for now, until next time, thank you all very much. I think this is um, this is a useful thing for the cultural field that we're participating in. Thank, thank you. you, everybody.
Do I have again. to drop off. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. Take care, everyone. Take okay. care. Bye bye. <laughs>